Hi there and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this episode, the hotels finally reopen. The scooters that could soon be zipping around Cork and how AI is keeping our goods moving. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Well, there was a real sense of excitement about the place with hospitality reopening this week after a very long break, far too long. And I'm delighted to be joined by three of Cork's finest hoteliers. Uh, Michael Magner is from the Vienna Woods Hotel. Annette Donovan is from the wonderful West Lodge Hotel down in Bantry. And Aaron Mansworth is with Trigon Hotels, which operate three properties in the city. It's great to talk to you all and what a wonderful week it has been to see the doors reopen. Annette, what was it like when you threw them open and welcomed the first guests? It was so exciting to be welcoming people that are actually here because they want to be here and not because they're working and not to be uh, questioning them on what they're doing here and letters from employers. So it is really exciting um, to have and leisure guests You've been back. closed for a long time to regular business. I mean, did, what impact did that have on the staff at the hotel, on you, on the psychology of the place? Because hotels, they were really lonely places when you didn't have guests. They were, and there was no children on the weekends, even though we're giving out a lot of the time, but uh, we're very much the family market. So we missed that um, activity around the place. I suppose we had quite a few people staying for essential services like the hospital and the nursing home here behind us. But, you know, that was a bit depressing in itself, um, you know, because they were going through a really tough time as well. Um, so no, it's 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 so much more exciting now because people want to be here, as I say. Uh, Michael Magner of uh, the Vienna Woods, you, you went ahead with plans that were announced recently to make the hotel even bigger. So you didn't you didn't waste lockdown, did you? We've been busy. There's no doubt about it. I suppose in anticipation of what the future has in store for us. I mean, you know, COVID has been horrific. It has been desperate across all levels of society for all different reasons. But uh, we have to be positive, and we know we're going to recover as a people as a nation as a globe in terms of moving forward and uh, we use the time to, to look forward for our business um, and in doing that uh, we were I suppose um, we looked at what our business could deliver for Cork in the future prior to the pandemic Cork was in serious need of additional guest rooms uh, we were hearing that from all the the, the various uh, data and reports that were coming out into the market um, and while some of those guest rooms were coming to fruition the cost of building hotel rooms from a greenfield site is very, very expensive. So the plug-on solution is is, is definitely more cost-effective. So, so we've seen the opportunity to add an additional 42 guest rooms and a spa to our product mm. to broaden our range of services here as well at the hotel. So very exciting. Uh, in the meantime, though, is it a little clinical around the hotel? Because you still have all those yellow and black signs, which I will be absolutely delighted to see the back of when they eventually do go. Uh, but, you know, people have to maintain the social distance. You have a responsibility to keep the staff safe. Your daughter who's vaccinated and who isn't. Is, is it a little bit anxious as well as being a little bit joyous? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you've 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 defined it very well in terms of the word clinical. That is a fact. Um, but the fact is also we're now so used to living alongside these procedures and and processes, if you like, in in every day that we go to work. Because we ourselves were open for essential workers uh, during uh, this past lockdown, and uh, we've learned to live with it. And I think the the human beast is an incredible being, if you like, insofar as that uh, once we you know get used to doing something, we adapt to it very quickly. 
quickly. And, and, and in that context, it's just part of the way we're going to have to engage with our customers for the foreseeable future. And also, it's about protecting the welfare and the health of our colleagues and team here at the hotel, but also for our customers also. And they want to come in to, and visit hotels and have a very enjoyable and comfortable experience, but also knowing that it's safe. Um, Aaron Mansworth of Trigon Hotels, uh, you, like uh, our other two guests, bleed hospitality. Uh, it's all about the guest. It's about making people feel comfortable and feel at home. How are you doing that this week? Jonathan, hi, and thanks for having us again today. I'm delighted to be with you. Um, I suppose what we're trying to do, Jonathan, realistically, is you. the secret really is to try and make people forget about COVID. Um, as you said, stickers and things like that you know, will be in place, but it's really going to be, I suppose, ramping up the customer interaction, the concierge service, you know, the personal touches, and just reminding people, you know, what we do best, which is creating, helping them create memories. Um, you know, we're really looking forward to helping them celebrate missed, missed occasions, and that's going, to, that's going to be what it's all about. And really, it's a little bit cliched, but it's so important to us, is reminding people what the Cade Meal of is and what our industry is all about you know, that, that happy, smiling face, people that are happy to be there to, you know, to serve and look after you, you know. So, you know, as Annette said at the start, just the excitement this morning, you know, as, as I saw Best put last night, it was like Christmas Eve last night, you know, and you're, 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 you're there this morning. And even though we've been open for essential services, and you know, for the last number of months and all that, it's just, it's, it's just nice that that sort of sense of relief that we're open is palpable today. Um, and, you know, I think as, as Michael said then, you know, to have your teams around, to see people you probably haven't seen in a while, having kept engaged with them regularly throughout, but to see them in their uniforms with a smile on their face where they belong, it's just, it's immense. Mm. And I suppose it's trying to get that feel to rub off on the guests as well. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll be part and parcel of it, you know. Um, Adette, the, the big question, of course, is how much ground you can make up. You, you had a pretty disastrous year. You were open, uh, but for the public, you were really closed. How are bookings looking for the summer? Is it going to be the big staycation summer of 2021, do you think? Uh, Jonathan, June is June is fine. The weekends are fine. The midweek wouldn't be as strong as we would like, but of course we're missing our coach tour business this year, which will be a huge core of our business midweek in June, uh, especially the UK and the German coach tours. And I don't know when they'll be back, to be honest. Um, and, you know, we're very much the family market, so a lot of children are still in school until the end of the month. Now, our self-catering is booked out. We have nine self-catering cottages, and that's booked out all the way through, really, until September. July is strong, and August is strong, um, which is to be expected. Uh, but June midweek is, we're working on that. Mm. That's a little bit of a concern at the moment to try and Do you still that. have the crazy golf yeah. out the front? I just loved that when I was a kid. We do, we do. We have the crazy golf. We have the most beautiful fairy trail which opened this morning. So the fairies have moved into our 26 uh, you'll acres. Ne- you'll never get them out over. now, you know. Once they're in, they're in for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I suppose this year we're very much focused on bringing people outside. You know, um, while 26 acres of grass to be cutting <laughs> can be a bit of a nightmare, it's definitely to our advantage at the moment. Um, you know, we've pitched and put tennis, uh, soccer, 
Uh, we've little walkways done, you know, like an after dinner stroll. So we've, we've a lot done okay. outside. And uh, Michael, you mightn't have 26 acres to cut, but you've a lot of space outdoors. What have you done to enable that outdoor existence that we are told we have to live with for the next little while? But actually turns out to be something that's quite enjoyable if you do it right. Absolutely. If the weather is right and if you can create the, the environment, um, it works very well, actually. And I think we've taken a lead from some countries across Europe where, in fact, in the winter, they still use outdoors as part of um, their uh, hospitality services. So here at the hotel, we've outdoor seating now created for over 60 guests with all the appropriate social distancing that's required um, for outdoor um, elements. And that's another new element to what we're providing to our customers as they're coming into the hotel. But Jonathan, I I concur with what Annette has said in relation to, you know, uh, our reopening and occupancy. Um, One of the concerns I would have in, you know, and our Minister for Tourism put it very well yesterday. We're cautious and optimistic, but in being cautious, it means that you know we may not be able to achieve 100% occupancy. This summer is going to be a summer of the staycation, and we're, it's going to be a summer of outdoors. I think that's well flagged by the government. But as international travel starts to uh, recommence on July 19th, I would have a concern that uh, the inbound traffic won't uh, materialise, not just yet, and Tourism Ireland... I suppose in the great work they're doing, they're also carrying out a lot of research and the data is suggesting that while Ireland is high on the international visitor agenda for those folks that would have visited Ireland historically, like typically North America, the UK and mainland Europe and other countries as far away as Australia, the likelihood is that... um, uh, that those international travellers won't arrive on this year mm. um, because they're concerned that if localised lockdowns occur either in their home countries or in the countries like Ireland that they're proposing to visit, they may get caught. So they're not willing to travel initially until, I suppose, there's a definitive fact that COVID is in the rearview mirror. So yeah. we have to be very cautious about how we manage it. And, you know, there are only eight weeks of the summer. I mean, you know, Annette put it very well, family market, which is a huge market here in Ireland, that doesn't materialise till July 1st kids are back to school around the last week of August so by the time we get into September um, we need to be very very clear that occupancy could be challenged and that's why government supports which were announced yesterday and welcomed uh, they they must continue on so uh, positive news but cautious but optimistic Yes of course we we always uh, look over our shoulder as well as we do when we're looking forward. Uh, Aaron just on the outdoor spaces uh, Harley Street is a fascinating spot for me because it used to always just be a rat run from the Keys, Patrick's Key up onto McCartan Street. You've done a lot more with it and, and I love the initiative that you've undertaken uh, with Cope Foundation and Ability at Work uh, which is a mural that's uh, taken up one of the walls of the Met. Yeah, Harley Street, It's it's. It, I, I suppose it began with the, with the fantastic work put in by Cork City Council in pedestrianising it and then working on the Arduart um, mural project last summer, which was really sort of lent to the street. And we have actually a food market beginning there. Um, I, I, sh- I shouldn't be saying too much, but we are launching a food market there, which is going to be Harley Street. Um, so what better way to launch than with yourself, Jonathan? Um, so we, ha- we have that. <laughs> we started to utilize it a bit last year um, just, to, just to test it. And when you see the success of a place like Princess Street, so we, we want to use that space and then we looked at it and then we just saw that wall at the top that was still blank and um, Kathleen and our HR team, just uh, Kathleen and him, they just had a fantastic idea. Um, we launched with the Coke Foundation as our charity of choice this year 
and we've been working with the section of ability to work to bring people back in to you know to the workforce for diversity and inclusion and um, you know just the idea to do the handprint neural and it just the traction like I, I'd say Saturday was one of the proudest days I've had in in the industry of just feeling seeing people come you know both from Trigon and ability at work putting their, their handprints on the wall but you know to have the Lord Mayor Joe and, and the Taoiseach you know Martin come and launch it for just lend to the importance of the topic but it's just huge so I think that whole street is is really lifting and as you know with McCartan Street it's lifting um, there's and there's a lot of plans in the next couple of years from McCartan Street so listen it's, it's great to see it you know it's great to see the whole city lift well, you know can I just say it's wonderful to be talking to three hoteliers who are so positive and looking to the future. Uh, after the year you've been through, you deserve nothing but success. And uh, I know I can't wait to get travelling around and to visit hotels and to support the industry that pays your wages and the wages of all your teams because uh, uh, I, I think you deserve every bit of it over the course of the next couple of months. Aaron Mansworth of Trigon Hotels, Michael Magner of the Vienna Woods Hotel and Annette O'Donovan of West Lodge Hotel in Bantry. Keep those golf clubs handy in case I call Annette, will you? Oh, they'll be here waiting. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And you know where we are. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. How we get around is changing as well. And my next guest will tell me about the next big thing that I have to admit I'm not fully aware of yet, but will be by the end of this conversation. Will O'Brien of Zip Mobility. How are you? I'm good, Jonathan. How are you getting on? I'm good. Tell me what you do. Right, so uh, I work for Zip Mobility. Zip Mobility Ireland's leading e-scooter sharing service providers. So what we do um, is not too dissimilar to what we already have in Cork. When we're in Cork, we already have the Coke Bike Scheme. We're looking to do something similar in Cork, uh, except e-scooters. A few slight variations on the model, but essentially what we provide to cities across uh, uh, Ireland, uh, UK, Europe is these uh, shared e-scooter services. So. We will come in, set up a warehouse in a, in, in, a, in a city, deploy a few hundred scooters, and then that's accessible through a mobile app. So you download the Zip Mobility app, you set up an account, it takes less than two minutes. Um, in some jurisdictions, you might have to verify a driver's license or your age or that sort of thing. And then you uh, scan onto the scooter using a QR code. That should turn on the scooter and you ride to your, your destination and you pay per minute or your monthly passes, it depends on the location. But, uh, but that's how the service works and uh, fingers crossed we're, we'll, we'll be launching in, in the Revel County um, and in Cork City uh, in, in, the next, in the next year or, or, or as soon as we can really. Okay. I have many questions as you might expect yeah. I would. Uh, first of all, are the scooters put into a dock like the Coke bikes? So in other words, is there dedicated places where you drop them off and collect them? Yeah, so we can be quite adaptable on this. There, there's a few options. The first option, which we typically advise cities against, um, is, um, and it's important to note that the, the operational decisions are generally lie with the city council. Um, so the first option is you have a dockless system uh, where you can kind of leave the scooters wherever you'd like. Um, we advise against this typically just because things like scooter litter and things like that become a problem and um, we don't really want to impact the public realm in a negative way so what we typically offer is opt for some sort of parking model be it, albeit using virtual uh, parking locations so a virtual location would be a a what we would do is we'd 
go to the, the corner of Grand Parade, we would paint uh, a square, a two by two meter square, and using the GPS in the scooter, when the scooter is put into that location, then you're given the option to end your ride, which you'd only be allowed to end your journey when you're in one of these parking locations. Okay. Uh, and, and then there is the option to add on uh, like actual physical docking structures, there's cost associated with that as well, but that is definitely an option. Okay, I, I, I've got to give you, as a, as a seasoned old head, if you allow people to leave scooters down unattended next to the river, it is inevitable that some of the scooters will end up in the river because not all citizens are upstanding. Um, and, and many would see this as a form of sport. So how do you prevent your scooters from ending up in the river? Yeah, no, that's that's and and it's exactly that reason that that kind of misuse factor is why we typically don't opt for a dockless system. So we we only allow people uh, park them uh, in, in set locations. Generally, this is the model we're using across Europe. Um, so what we would do is we wouldn't put parking locations next to the river. So we'd likely put them not next to the river, uh, but a, but a, you know a good bit away. The uh, so these aren't like your regular e-scooters that you might be able to pick up in Halfords or something like that, or buy them on eBay. They're actually very very heavy. They weigh about thirty kilos. So by so you know you want to be fairly fit to be able to drag them and throw them in. But as well, we always have patrollers going around the city. Uh, Zip staff. We hire a full time team in every location, and they're going around monitoring for misuse. But as I said, these, these devices are connected to the internet and twenty four seven. So as soon as someone moves one, while well, it's not uh, during a journey, uh, we have a we have a record of that. Our team are notified of the park scooters being moved. As well, if, if you're using the scooter and while you're using the scooter, it's chucked into the river. We have your details and that sort of thing. So there's many methods of recourse, um, and it's, yeah. it's, there's no one solution. There's, it's kind of using a combination of them. And when you are out and about on the scooter, then I presume that the scooter only moves once you've scanned it and you have verified that you are allowed to use it to paid the fee. Otherwise, they are very expensive bricks. Exactly, exactly. You, you can't move them. If you, start, if you start trying to move them, they'll make a, a beeping noise and our team on our end will be notified if uh, people are trying to tamper with them. Okay, there's a lot of hard-working people on this team by the sound of it. The next question I have, Will, um, is about the law. Because we know that the law in this country doesn't really recognise scooters as a thing. Um, it seems to think they're the same as a truck. Um, are, are you hoping that the law might be resolved before you roll this out in Cork? Absolutely. Um, you know, we would never operate a service uh, without the explicit permission of the national government in legislation and, and, and the, the, the permission of the local authorities. So, so without doubt, we'd be, we'd be looking to, for that law to move to, to legislation before we launch. Um, and I'm hopeful we can get that this year. You know, we saw a press release a number of weeks ago coming from the, the minister, Minister Ryan's team, uh, announcing their intentions to legislate for e-scooters. There's been a few TDs really pushing the case here on this front um, uh, so so we're hopeful we're hopeful that the laws will be passed uh, this year you're right as it's currently stands scooters they're, they're, they're not set set out in current legislation so you need tax and insurance for them but for a vehicle like a scooter which might only be worth 700 or 800 euro the expectation to pay tax and insurance on that is a bit uh, burdensome
Mm, I'd imagine it is. But there are people who think this is a really good thing. I mean, you have raised more than a billion euro through early stage and angel investing uh, to support growth in Britain. I think Brian O'Driscoll, uh, the rugby player, uh, is after throwing a few bob your way as well. So, you know, if if, if we are humming and hawing in Ireland, there are other jurisdictions in other countries where the value of the scooter is being recognised. See, this is the thing, Jonathan. We're we're one of the last countries in the European Union not to legislate free scooters. So we are kind of a bit behind the curve here but in there there's an opportunity too there's a great opportunity for cities like Cork to look at like what went well in Lisbon what went well in Paris what went well in London and just cherry pick best practices so so um and, and there is like our, our some of our users like we've got a few cohorts of users that are using the service every day during the lockdowns in particular in our in our trials in the in, in the UK we saw really high uh, uptake in and around hospitals which is really interesting and then when we surveyed a few users we realized it's um because they're more comfortable on it from a social distancing perspective, they were nervous, nurses and doctors, nervous about getting on buses and more comfortable jumping on a scooter and uh, and scooting in the open air. Okay, well, look, it sounds like it's great crack. It's a good way to get around. It's very environmentally sustainable, but we're a smidgen away from it yet, but I'm sure we'll get there at some stage soon. Will, good luck to yourself and the team at Zip Mobility. Will O'Brien, who I have to say is a Cork man from Ballincollig, thanks so much for joining us on Red Business. Thanks a million, Jonathan. Have a good day. The only show in town for Cork Business. Red Business. AI is something that is creeping more and more into business conversations because the type of technology that we're talking about is really all important when it comes to data and making decisions. And my next guest is somebody who knows very much the importance of it when it comes to supply chains. The company is called Kielvar, and I'm delighted to be joined by the CEO, Alan Holland. Alan, how are you? I'm very good. Uh, people, when they talk about AI, if they come from the rural background, it means something completely different. But just to clarify, we are talking about artificial intelligence and it is encroaching into all different sectors, isn't it? It, it is, yes. Uh, and, um, you know, so, somebody once sent to me, said to me, you know, that the quoted famous phrase that software is eating the world, but AI is eating software. Um, so... I think that's quite true that uh, wherever we see software today, people are looking for, they're always looking for improvements and AI can give those improvements and add intelligence and make our lives easier. I mean, the big thing is speed, isn't it? That that AI can be used to process data a lot faster without human intervention, but that is not without its risks. That's true because there are, you know, human intelligence is, is quite diverse there's so many different things we do and different tasks we do and similarly ai is quite diverse in 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 terms of some of the things it tries to do and it tries to spot patterns it tries to act faster on your behalf and so on and i think many of the concerns center around some applications of ai being very hungry for data and consuming lots of data um and what, yeah, and, and people can understand that anxiety that is there as a result. But businesses now realise the need for this. And I think that is borne out of the, the names of the businesses that you're working with, the likes of Coca-Cola and BMW and Siemens. How can AI be used to help businesses like that? So many of these big companies, they're, they're dealing with a flood of data. that they are, They're getting data from all of these sources around the world and a key, I suppose, a key metric for them to succeed is, is to be fast and agile. 
So many of these big manufacturing and food and retail companies, they need to be fast at sourcing new suppliers. They need to be fast at moving products uh, from their origins to the shop shelves. And whoever is the most nimble wins. Mm. A supply chain we learned a lot about in the last, let's say, 18 months between Brexit and COVID. Uh, supply chains really, really came into focus. And I'm guessing that businesses, the bigger they were, the more data they had to process to try and keep those supply chains moving moving in the face of adversity. Yes. So very often there's some unexpected disaster, whether it's a, uh, a ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal or whether it's an earthquake or it's a forest fire. There's, there's, you have to expect the unexpected. So the name of the game is being able to react very quickly and find what, what are our alternatives? What other routes can we use to move these goods? You know, do we move from ocean to air? Do we change the airports we're using? Do we um, change the mode of transport? Do we look to move via road? So if you're good at reasoning about the, the changes you need to make quickly and actually making those changes very quickly, then you have a big competitive advantage in your supply chain. I remember reading an article about the just-in-time production model. I think it was Toyota um, who had a very small factory and they decided the only way they could make this small factory work was to just get the stuff they need to arrive at exactly the right time. And that was grand until we realised that things can go wrong. Does AI mean just-in-time can continue and get better? Or are we coming up with different ways other than what the good people at Toyota devised back in the 30s? Yeah, I think there's many companies kind of rushed to uh, copy the approach uh, of just-in-time manufacturing. And it wasn't necessarily the best solution for every company and every industry. What AI and, and more broadly intelligent systems can do is help every business tune their needs and you're effectively you're buying insurance when you have excess inventory but it's important insurance when a disaster strikes so it, it it's important to right size the amount of insurance you have and ai can help you with that um your business spun out of the rubicon center in uh, what is now mtu and i know previously you you were in the um, ucc so you're kind of a product of the cork startup ecosystem and it's great to hear that you've got your series a funding round now and you're you're pressing on uh, with rolling out products to a global market it's it how do you feel as an entrepreneur do you feel as if the weight is on your shoulders or, or do you feel empowered now to go about it now that you've got the money and the investment available? I think it's, yeah, definitely the latter. I think we feel very, very much empowered. In, in many ways, we've been kind of quietly building something very strong, flying under the radar internationally, you know, accumulating a small number of deals, but uh, doing reasonably well with a, a team of 10 or 12 people. But then we started to just gain momentum and gain speed and and, and things started to get easier. We, we found that there was this kind of flywheel effect that we were generating as we were building a stronger and stronger solution and more and more customers were coming to us. And then when we did the Series A, then we had have, have a load of capital behind us as well to hire at speed. So we're up to 60 people and we're probably at... 90 to 100 people by year end and things are going well.
Um, so what's next? Uh, wh- where do we take this journey? If, if you've made it this far, you've got the investment, uh, are you limiting your ambitions in any way or, or do you just keep wanting those big names on the door? Um, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep adding adding um, those big names. You know, uh, I think there's there's we, we've secured quite a number of big blue chip customers, but uh, there's many more out there. So we, we'll keep on growing and and but we're we're very much focused on some of the technical objectives and things things that you know when we when we left the research lab in UCC, we wanted to build sourcing bots that would be the smartest buyers in their respective categories in the world, so that. We, we compare what we do to poker bots. You know, you, you may have seen some AI researchers working on poker bots that can beat the world champion at poker. In our sector, we want to have buyers that are better than the world's top experts at buying certain commodities, be it freight or steel or IT services or whatever. Mm. And, and one last question. Uh, AI is great and everything, but does it remove the human element? And the human element is very important. So is it ultimately going to cost jobs? And could at some point the artificial intelligence lack the sense that a human would bring to the process and as a result, a mistake is made? I, I think we always take care in positioning what we do so that it's clear that there's there's always a human in the loop. And what we're automating tends to be the higher frequency tactical buying what we're not automating is the strategic negotiations or risk management or relationship management uh, that, that's needed with suppliers. You know, there are many things that machines cannot do and will never be able to do. And what, what our automation of tactical buying is doing is giving people back more time to, to do these things that humans are actually much better at and tend to enjoy doing more. Well, I know you're doing a webinar with Samsung uh, hosted by Spend Matters on June the 8th where you're going to talk uh, about intelligent automation solutions uh, and everything that you do. So I'm sure people can tune into that if they want to hear more. It's great to hear another Cork success story, particularly one that has followed that tried and trusted route that we've talked about so many times on the podcast. Alan Holland, CEO of Kielvar. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode right now from redextra.ie. May Fian was the producer again this week, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.